Welcome to the JCR, a Massey podcast, where people and ideas intersect. My name is Andrew Lamb, a resident doctor. Today, I'm joined by Chakwinonsu Nwabufo, PhD student and CIHR scholar in pharmaceutical sciences in the Leslie Dan Faculty of Pharmacy. We're talking about Chuck's groundbreaking research into SARS-CoV-2 infection dysregulating the expression of clinically relevant drug metabolizing enzymes in Vero E6 cells and membrane transporters in human lung tissues. That is a brilliant and a mouthful of a title. It has garnered over 1,500 reads in under three weeks since publication and has an altmetric of 15. I'm delighted to have you joining us today. Thank you so much, Andrew. And I'm so looking forward to this conversation. Myself as well. And for our listeners, would you be able to introduce yourself to them? Absolutely. So like you said, I'm a PhD student and a CIHR scholar at the Leslie Dent Faculty of Pharmacy. Before that, I worked at Gilead Sciences where I was involved in a number of drug development programs, including remdesivir for COVID-19 and lenacapiva for HIV. I completed a master's in pharmacy at the University of Saskatchewan where I was involved in the development of three novel compounds that are under basic science research for diagnosis and or treatment of Parkinson's disease. I also have a bachelor's in biochemistry with a thesis research that looked into the effects of a local drink on the reproductive system of males and females back in Nigeria. Thank you for sharing that with us. And such a pleasure to have someone experienced in these domains speak to us about this area of research. The title I read earlier, I was hoping maybe you could help explain to us what the study was looking at. So basically, we wanted to see how SARS-CoV-2 infection can affect how patients respond to drugs. And we know that there are proteins in the body that play a critical role in processing drugs inside the body. So for SARS-CoV-2 infection to affect how patients respond to drugs, we wanted to investigate to see whether it can affect how those proteins are expressed. And essentially what we want to see is if it's able to affect the amount of the protein in the body, thereby affecting how much of the drug that you have in your body, just because you have limited proteins available to process them. And so we looked at this using uh, lung tissues that we obtained from diseased COVID-19 patients compared to controls, and that means patients who died for reasons other than COVID-19. And then we also did in vitro studies using a cell model that have been widely used to study and characterize SARS-CoV-2 infection. So the goal was to compare the findings we see in these in vitro models with the postmortem lung tissues that we obtained from diseased COVID-19 patients. I really appreciate that. And as someone who's trained in the medical sciences, I can understand most of what you've described. And I wonder for some of our audiences who don't have this background, if you could elaborate on what an in vitro model means. So it's basically all experiments that are occurring in glass that are not really inside human systems. And so we, in our case, we used a cell model 
basically, which is an African monkey kidney epithelial cell that we wanted to use to see when we infect it with SARS-CoV-2, how would it affect the expression of these proteins that are involved in processing drugs in the body. So when we work with long tissues, it's actually more clinically related because then you're dealing with samples that are obtained from human beings. But with in vitro models, it's not really essentially human models. There are also times that you can have human cells that are obtained and used to conduct in vitro studies, but most of those studies are occurring in glass, essentially. The human tissues that we use, we are ex vivo models because they were taken out of the human body and then used to perform studies for our specific work. And how did you get inspired to conduct this research? That's a very good question. This really started in 2020 when I was still at Gilead. And I mean, when SARS-CoV-2 infection really started and was declared a pandemic, there was a lot of effort that went into rapidly repurposing drugs, but not all those drugs were very successful during the develop clinical development stage. But we know that many of those drugs had the potential to be efficacious and safe for the treatment of SARS-CoV-2 infection. So the interest became to find out exactly what other pharmacological factors could affect the safety and efficacy of drugs. And as we started thinking about this, papers started coming out. Um, I think the first one was in 2020 that showed that lopenavir, which is an antiretroviral drug that was initially being repurposed for the treatments of COVID-19, that clinical studies that looked at its efficacy and pharmacokinetic profile in COVID-19 patients actually saw that there was a higher than normal levels of the drug in the body compared to what you would normally see in HIV patients who take lopenivir. And so this drew our attention that there might, it, it is possible that SARS-CoV-2 infection could be affecting how drugs are processed in the body. And as I mentioned before, there are proteins inside the body that play a critical role in processing these drugs. And one way that SARS-CoV-2 infection can affect how those drugs are processed is to alter the expression of those proteins, in which case it can either increase or decrease the amount in the body. And when it decreases or increase the amount of that, of these drug processing proteins in the body, you will also expect similar effect in the concentration of the drug in the body. The problem is when the drug is present in the body at a higher than normal level, that is within, that is outside of the safety and efficacy window, then you're likely to have adverse drug effects. When it is also below that, therapeutic range that you would expect to see in the body, which is more like the safety and efficacy margin, then you can expect to see inefficacy. And to do that, it's important for us to investigate and see what other factor can affect drug concentrations in the body. And I mean, as we went from year to year, in, specifically in 2021, another study was also published showing that tacrolimus, which is another drug, was also affected, you know, had an abnormal drug concentrations in the plasma of patients who were COVID-19 patients compared to what you would see in the normal population. 
2022, another study also showed the same for metazolam that in COVID-19 patients, there was also altered drug levels in their blood compared to normal. So that was the catch for us to know that it's worth looking in to see what other factor could that be affecting drug concentrations in COVID-19 patients. I'm very glad there are brilliant scholars like yourself looking into this area of research. And what were some of the results from the study? Well, when we used our in vitro cell model to look at the impact of SARS-CoV-2 infection on the expression of drug processing proteins, and in this case, those include enzymes and transporters that play a critical role in processing drugs in the body. Out of about 12 drug processing proteins that we looked into, we saw that in this in vitro cell model that two proteins were dysregulated. One of them is CYP3A4, and the other one is UGT1A1. Now, this is very important because CYP3A4 plays a critical role in processing more than 50% of clinically relevant drugs, including the drugs that were initially reported in clinical studies showing altered drug levels in COVID-19 patients. And UGT1A1 is highly polymorphic. And by that, we mean that it has different um, genetic variants in individuals. So that means that when you look at the overall population, that there might be people who have defective forms of UGT1A1. There are people who have the normal forms of the protein, which means the activity is normal. There are other people who might have the hyper phenotype of this UGT1A1 protein, which means that they have higher activity than normal. And there are other people who also are intermediate, they have an intermediate activity of the protein. But in our own study, we saw that at the mRNA level that this drug processing protein UGT1A1 was significantly downregulated, and which raises a question for those people who have who are poor metabolizers of UGT1A1, showing us that within those subgroup of patients who may also have SARS-CoV-2 infection and at the same time are poor metabolizers, that you may even expect even lower amounts of this drug processing protein UGT1A1. Now, when we proceeded to look at the impact of COVID-19 on the expression of these drug processing proteins, about 13 of them in post-mortem human lung tissues obtained from COVID-19 diseased COVID-19 patients, we saw that two efflux transporters, these are proteins that are responsible for transporting drugs into the cells and the body. We saw that about two of them, that the expression at the protein level was altered. One of them plays a critical role in the efflux of a number of drugs. In fact, some of them are even COVID-19 drugs, Vaclori and Paxlovid. We saw that PGP was dysregulated at the protein level in this postmortem human lung tissues. Now, this is very interesting because the lung is also affected by SARS-CoV-2 infection. In fact, it's one of the primary organs that, affect, that is affected by SARS-CoV-2 infection. And normally you would anticipate, you know, 
high therapeutic concentration or at least optimal amounts of drug at that target site in order to see effective clinical outcomes. So if we are seeing dysregulation at that site of infection, it warrants the need to further look in and see how this can affect drug concentrations within the lung. That's very fascinating. And thinking about it in terms of patient outcomes and application, how might these study results impact that? You know, I think that that's very important because obviously one of the goals of translational pharmacology and clinical pharmacology is to think about how the work we do in the bench, how it can be translated into the clinic. And I want to say that one of the things that quickly draws into mind is that it's important, especially within COVID clinical management of COVID-19, that precision medicine should be the watchword. While our study does show that SARS-CoV-2 infection affects the expression of drug processing proteins, we know that this may not be the case for all COVID-19 patients. However, we anticipate that patients who have hyperinflammatory response that is associated with SARS-CoV-2 infection might be at risk of dysregulated drug processing proteins. And when we prescribe drugs to them without taking this into consideration, we can actually have safety and efficacy issues in those patients. And that might even be the reason why we are seeing inter-individual differences in patient response to some of the repurposed drugs for COVID-19. For example, we saw that with Vaclore, Remdesivir, where clinical trials had different clinical outcomes and readouts for patient population. So I think what our study really draws attention to is that clinicians need to be aware of some of these potential liabilities that can affect how patients respond to drugs, particularly COVID-19 patients. I think that within patient groups, it will be important to do cytokine panel analysis of the patient samples to see what is their inflammatory state and then it's important to add that into the clinical decision-making process to see how that inflammatory response can affect the levels of drug processing proteins and where necessary even quantify the amount of those uh, drug processing proteins that are essential for the drug that is being administered to the patient. But also what is important is to look at the pharmacogenetic profile of the patients to see are there genetic polymorphisms that may affect some patients. And a critical example that I want to point out here is UGT1A1. In the in vitro model that we used to conduct our study, we saw that UGT1A1, which is an important drug processing protein, was dysregulated. In fact, it was down, its level was downregulated. Now, as I mentioned before, UGT1A1 is highly polymorphic and there are people who have lower amounts of the protein in the body. In fact, about 10% of North Americans are poor UGT1A1 metabolizers, which means that they have low amount of UGT1A1 protein in their body. The problem is if they have SARS-CoV-2 infection and under hyperinflammatory state, they might be at risk of even having lower amount of UGT1A1. And so therefore it's important for clinicians to 
Test, do pharmacogenetic tests for these patients, see what their genotype for this drug processing proteins are, and pay careful attention on the potential of SARS-CoV-2 associated inflammatory response and the effect that it could have on the existing genotype of the patient for clinically relevant drug processing proteins. So really, Andrew, I think the key word here is being very cautious and trying as much as possible to personalize dosing. And to personalize dosing, we need to get as much information, clinical and laboratory information about patients so that we are prescribing them the right drug, but that we're also giving them at the right dose that is essential for optimal clinical outcomes. That was a very rich response, and I didn't want to interrupt you, but I do want to clarify, what is a cytokine panel? So cytokine panels are sort of like, uh, well, we call them pro-inflammatory cytokines, and they are really these molecules that the body releases as part of our immune response to an infection. Uh, through our study, we found that under this cytokine storm uh, in the in vitro model that we used, you know, when we looked at different cytokines that are involved and associated with SARS-CoV-2, we found that it was only under those cytokine levels, elevated cytokine levels, that there were dysregulation in the expression of the drug processing proteins that we investigated. You're listening to the JCR, a Massey podcast. I'm Andrew Lam, in conversation with Chakmanonsu Nwabufu. What further research is needed to better understand the nature of these disease-drug interactions? Well, I think that future research can do a more regulated clinical studies. In, in, in our own study, we used postmortem human lung tissues from COVID-19 patients uh, compared to controls, that, and that is patients who didn't die because of COVID-19, but these were autopsy samples, and there were not a lot of uh, clinical information. Uh, so, for example, the ongoing medications that patients had, what was their genotype or the family history, we didn't have a lot of those information. So I do think that further studies can do a more regulated clinical studies that allows them to stratify patients based on, you know, on sex, gender, to stratify them again based on age and even stages of SARS-CoV-2 um, infection uh, to gather more information as to the effect we see, how pronounced is it in patients who do not have high amounts of cytokine. To also look at the impact of ongoing medication on the levels of drug processing proteins in the body. So there are a number of variables that with a regulated clinical trial can help answer very important questions. And I think that that should be the direction of the next, hopefully the direction of the next arm of the study, would also be to look in and see what about patients that have different variants of SARS-CoV-2? Do, do we see differences of these variants on the levels of drug processing proteins? in those patients. I think that that would be a very interesting uh, study to look into. And many of the times when researchers look at the impact of uh, infection on the 
expression of drug metabolizing enzymes and transporters, we often focus more on the liver because the liver quantitatively has a high amount of these drug processing proteins. But it's also important to think about other organs that might be essential, other tissues in the body, for example, the lung, the brain. These are really, there are more research now that are coming up and showing that SARS-CoV-2 infection also affects the brain. And we have to look into that particular organ and see, okay, since there are drug processing proteins at this particular target site, and by that I mean the brain, well, does SARS-CoV-2 infection also affect their levels? And can that prevent drugs from reaching optimal concentration at those target sites, and in this case, the, the, the brain? So I think that we really need to shift from how we are looking at things before, and that was what our study tried to do. We really moved from looking at the liver, which is really more quantitatively the organ that has a lot of drug processing proteins, but we know that how drugs are processed at the target site of, uh, of drug action is also very important. And so I think that further studies should really shift the attention from just looking at the liver, but also looking at organs and tissues that are affected by SARS-CoV-2 infection to really see whether the levels of proteins that are involved in processing drugs, whether those are affected following SARS-CoV-2 infection. If other scientist hopefuls wanted to pursue research, what would you advise them on some challenges, rewards, and general advice? You know, I think that, <laughs> and this is something that we don't talk about a lot, but I do really think that what drives science is passion for making a difference in the world. In my field, in pharmaceutical sciences, what really drives me is the patients. The work we do is for the end user, the patient. How can we improve the quality of health of our patients? Can we develop transformative medicines for unmet medical need? And when you have that mindset that what you're doing in the lab, the work that you're doing goes beyond um, trying to learn certain skill sets in the lab or fulfill what your supervisor have asked you to do or what your committee members have asked you to do or the thesis that you're writing up. But really knowing that the work that you're doing has an impact in the society. It informs the work that the industry does. You know, you're a resident doctor, you know this. It also informs how clinicians treat patients. So when you start, when you walk from the end to the beginning, it fuels the energy for the work that you do right from the beginning. It's knowing that the work that you're doing will ultimately and hopefully impact the end user, which is the patient. So for me, the drive was, there was a lot of work that was done in 2020. Um, I haven't seen such a huge move in discovery. I think it's, it, we haven't really applauded the scientific community enough as we should, uh, with respect to the expedited manner and accelerated manner in which drugs were rapidly and vaccines developed for COVID-19. But also with that came a lot of challenges with failure, with respect to failure of several drug repurposing programs. And my drive was, how can we make these drugs more effective? 
because we know that they have potential to be more effective. And so I want to say to young scientists like myself out there to always remember in their work and everything that they do, especially in the pharmaceutical sciences and biomedical sciences, that the end user is not really the manuscript that you're publishing, but the patient. And when you have that in mind, it really influences the quality and quantity of work that you do. Thank you, Chuck, for that very insightful discussion. I'm Andrew Lam with Chuck Winonsu Nobofu, PhD student and CIHR scholar in pharmaceutical sciences in the Leslie Dan Faculty of Pharmacy. You've been listening to the JCR, a production of the Junior Fellows at Massey College at the University of Toronto.